Well, good morning, everyone. It's a delight for me to be with you, numbered among God's chosen, called out of darkness, and brought into the marvelous light of the sons and daughters of God. We are a whole new breed of humanity. Do you know that? A new race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation that didn't exist before. Once you were not a people. Now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. Now you have received mercy. Thank you, Dan, for the invitation and those in leadership with you. It's really, it's really a joy to share God's word with you. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to talk about what being a Christian is. What is it to be such a human being? And how does it come about that you and I, the likes of you and I, get to be in on what God is doing? And not just what he's doing, but on who God actually is. You know, you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You probably know that, but it's, it's really true. You can't be. There's no Christians without the Spirit of God. Because one has to be born of the Holy Spirit in order to become a Christian. And that's only the beginning. You can't be a Christian without the life of the Spirit actually pulsating in you, making you what God has designed you to be, which is a little Christ. That's what a Christian, that's where the whole word comes from, being a little Christ. I want to read a little more from the text um, that we read from a moment ago. This is the hard part or the bad news part. Galatians chapter 5, picking it up in verse 16, the apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's, a, there's kind of a war underway, as you were all familiar with this, if you've been a believer for any length of time. And there's one way, it's the way of the flesh, that wants its way in you, in me, with your mind, with your heart, with your body. And then there's the way of the Spirit. And God wants God's way with you, His way, His purpose, His holiness, His joy. And so there's a war being waged. So, we have um, the way of the flesh, verse 17, that sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if we are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and here's a long catalog of terrible things, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, Factions, even in the church sometimes, friends. Envying, 
drunkenness, carousing, and there's more besides. Things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If uh, you and I are little Christs, that means that you are a finite, living expression of the life of God on the earth. Are you up for this, friends? Do you, do you know what you are? Paul exhorts the believers in one of his other letters to live a life worthy of this calling. You know, Jesus ascended and is in heaven, and you and I are his body on the earth, and we can correspond to who he is by our nature and our character. We get to be an incarnate expression of what Jesus was like. That is our calling. That is God's intent. This is what God is bringing about through his people on the earth. There is no other way for people to know who Christ is. Of course, the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth of what we are as the enemy bears witness to what Christians are not really supposed to be, and we've all been there and heard stories about this, and she was a Christian, and he was called himself a Christian. This is how they behaved. <laughs> she wanted to tell you a story one time, <clears throat> which the folks in the first service didn't hear. This is a little disclosure about Jeremy. So we lived in a town one time years ago um, in central Massachusetts. I don't know if, did you mention that I'm from Massachusetts? It is, it's really irrelevant because who matters? Who cares? We're citizens of heaven, and that's where we're going to be at home. But anyway, in the town we lived in, they had a dump. You didn't put your trash on the curbside, you took it to the dump every week. And one time there was this guy in front of me, you know, trying to get up to where the dump was, where you, you know, put your trash out, and he wasn't going anywhere. And I'm like, what is happening here? You know, like, I've got things to do. It's Saturday, I've got a sermon to prepare, I need to get home. And so I swing around and go in front of him and, you know, get rid of my trash, and he comes up by me and he says, well, that's a real Christian thing to do. Now, I'd never laid eyes on the man before. I had no idea who the person was, but wasn't it something that somehow he knew I was a pastor in the town, and somehow he knew that being impatient was not a nice Christian, <laughs> Christian thing to do. Fortunately, I never saw him ever again in my life either, so I don't know. Maybe he was an, an angel. I don't know. But anyway, we know what Christians are not supposed to be like, just as we know what we are supposed to be like. Well, the measure, friends, is Christ, and, and um, the Holy Spirit is the one who's making that possible. So we have this list, these two ways of, of, of being and relating is a point I want to make, this relationship thing that's underway. Um, we have the deeds of the flesh by which there is chaos in relationships, chaos in who I think I am and who I think I'm supposed to be in the world, 
And then there's the fruit of the Spirit, which is another way of relating. It's all about relating. That's who God is in the Trinity, relating to one another, each of the persons, relating in wholeness and purity and fullness and joy and delight. It's a delightful thing for God to be God. It's a holy dance, old theologians said centuries and centuries ago. Joyful, animated. And that's the kind of life you and I are called to choose. So you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, become animated, live, with this life that is in God. And that, friends, is the point of being Christian. You thought being a Christian was just not going to hell. There's way, way, way more. It's living a whole new kind of life. It's being a whole new kind of human being. It is, in the end, to be like God. Does that sound too much? <laughs> Jesus said, be perfect as your Father is perfect. We're told to be holy as God is holy. We get to have God's character. That's what it means to be a child of God. Because the spirit who animated who Christ was in his human form is the same spirit animating you and me. In fact, it is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead who is now giving life to your sin fill hell-bound body that has been converted that's how it's possible it's already raised Jesus dead body from the grave it is now raising you and me to a new kind of life the power of the Spirit of God so what the Spirit is doing is making us more and more like Jesus This transformation doesn't happen by you or me trying harder. Doesn't happen by you or me trying to be nice. It's, it's not possible for it to be brought about that way because you and me, we don't have the strength to become like God. We don't have the power. We don't have the will. God himself has to act upon us to bring this about. But we have a part to play. And the part we play is reckoning ourselves, that is to say, determining ourselves, orienting our thinking in such a way to be dead to sin. This is Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 6. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. That, that's all we get to do. That's all we have to do. It's all we can do. We determine, I'm not going to behave in the way I would like to behave right now because I've just been provoked by someone who made me mad. And what I want to do is, and what I now have to do is reckon myself dead to the way that my flesh wants me to behave. I'm tempted in this way or another. I want, my flesh wants to do this. And what I need to do is reckon myself dead to that thing that my flesh wants to do. Which makes possible something much greater. Now, the reckoning dead, just in case that's new to you, what that reckoning is, it's, it's repenting and returning to God's way. That's what, that's what that is about. That's what that looks like. It's saying, God, I don't want to do this. And in fact, I've already begun to do that in my heart or whatever the case may be. And reorienting my life to the way God wants me to live. Reckon yourself, the second part, is alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's all we do. We switch our minds. And the actual power is something that God brings about in you. And what God animates in you is what we're going to be talking about today a little more is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
God actually brings about a whole new way of being that we could not have done if we were trying. A way of life comes about by yielding to God. A way of life by yielding to God's will. In fact, a whole way of being comes forth from this same body that you're inhabiting right here, right now. This produces a kind of fruit that only God could bring about. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There was a time when I thought the fruit of the Holy Spirit was brought about by me being a good Christian. You know, just me being good. But it's not what that is. The fruit of the Spirit is actually the fruit of what God is like. It's actually a manifestation of God's own character, which we do not possess. But when the Spirit is alive in you, and when you have reckoned yourself dead to the way your old nature wanted to behave, then something comes forth which is the very nature of God, the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus. And when someone has reckoned themselves dead to sin, when that's become their whole orientation, by nature, this new way of being comes. It's like, we could almost say it's a little bit like magic. It's just, poof, there it is. A whole new way of being. Now, the work involved goes into reckoning ourselves dead to sin. The becoming alive to God in Christ Jesus is beyond, as I said, our powers. That's the magic part, which isn't quite, you know, magic doesn't quite sound like the right word, does it? But anyway, it's a work of God in the soul that brings forth something that could not have been done. It is too wonderful. It's miraculous. The Spirit of God, just to clarify what I'm saying, the Spirit is, is, is bringing forth the fruit of capital L for love, the love of God. You and I don't know what love is, but God, who is love, animates this way of being inside us. Fruit of joy. You know that God is joyful? He's not angry. Not a frown on his face. He's not unpredictable. God is a joyful God. The joy of the Lord is our strength, remember? It's the Lord's joy. It's what God is like. Joyful. It's patient. Peaceful. This quality of being can flow through you and through me. You know, when I'm this way, it goes better for everyone around me. If I'm being joyful, then my kids are better off. If I'm being patient, my health is probably, probably going to hold up a little longer. It's going to keep my blood pressure down. It's amazing. Everything God wants to do is gives us life, longevity, goodness. It improves our whole life. This whole life improvement is called, in a word, shalom. I'm sure you've heard this word, peace peace. It's the all-inclusive way that a Christian is supposed to be. It's the first word that Jesus spoke on the day of his resurrection. When he had defeated death and triumphed over the grave, he came forth and the first words to fall from his lips when he gathered among his disciples was peace, peace. Let the peace of Christ, Paul says, rule in your hearts, for you are called to this. Peace. That's when you are living by the Spirit, peace. When you are walking by the Spirit, peace rules in your heart. Because you're dead to all the other stuff. You've given up. You've buried all the other stuff in baptism. And every day you get to rehearse it. When that rears its head, you get to crucify it once again to the Lord. 
that something new can come forth. So, what you and I get to become is a walking, talking, praying, serving instance of the life of God on the earth. The life of God on the earth. You know, we've all run into cultural Christians, and maybe you were one at one time, and there's a possibility you might still be one. It means you're not actually a Christian at all, potentially. I mean, I'm not judging you. I just don't know how you think about it. But a cultural Christian, someone who lives in the West or lives in some country where Christianity has been around for a little while, that's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is actually being animated by the Holy Spirit, born of the Spirit, and producing the life of God on the earth. The tricky thing about cultural Christians is that most of them are kind of nice people some of the time. Good citizens, polite, do the right thing, thoughtful, respectful. You know, all the things the United States used to be back in whenever. Yeah, it's not Christianity. Powerless. But what we have, if you truly are a son or daughter of God, is the life of the living God welling up, coursing through your spiritual veins, animating your whole nervous system. Well, it's more than that. It's actually your heart is alive with the life of God. You actually get to be a son and or daughter of the living God and bear his character in the world. It's too wonderful. Like I said at the beginning, friends, we're a whole new kind of human being on the earth. Do you see them roaming around this town? Do you see them in this church? May it be so, friends. It is what God has made possible for us in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at two of the ways that, um, two of the fruits that are listed here, the last two on the list to kind of illustrate what this is all about, what this might look like. These, as I said, are all ways of God. They're expressions of the way God is. The last, uh, the second to last, number eight on the list is gentleness. When Jesus, on one occasion, described what he was like to his disciples, I'm sure you remember the verse. He was with, with them and he said, um, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You remember this is Matthew chapter 11. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. And then he said these remarkable words. For I am meek and humble in heart. Most translations don't have the word English meek anymore because it's, we just so don't even get what that word is as a culture or as Christians anymore. It's true, friends. It didn't get it in Corinth either, by the way. Paul on one occasion in Corinth says to, I appeal to you out of the gentleness of Christ because they didn't understand his authority. They thought he was weak. Didn't understand spiritual authority. But anyway, that's just there. If you can get it, it's on a sidebar. But here is the word. Jesus said, I am meek and humble in heart. And when you become like me, he said, you will find rest slash peace for your soul. See, when you are living in the flesh, we're animated by pride and ego and a determination to be somebody, to be noticed, to be of consequence, to be seen, to be heard. That's what the flesh does. It's kind of limited in its opportunities. <laughs> kind, of, kind of runs out of the imagination pretty quickly, doesn't it? It's restless. It's tiresome to live that way, and it doesn't lead anywhere. It never gets, you never get to be on top, because there's always someone ahead of you. 
someone more arrogant or proud or just plain better, then what? But Jesus says, come to me, you who are worn out and weary. You're done. You're spent. I'll, I'll give you rest. You can actually live like I live with meekness and humility. And you'll, you'll have peace for your soul, your very being. What is this word anyway? This word that we don't know what it means. We don't want to use it anymore in English. Well, a couple of ways to see how it was used back in the ancient times. In ancient Greek texts, it was used to describe an animal that had been broken in. So take a horse, for example, that has been broken in is a terrible thing to say because we're trying not to break the spirit of the horse, right? Yeah, that's what God does with us. He doesn't actually want to break your spirit. He wants to give you something. But it has to be tamed. It has to be tamed. And a horse that is meek is a tamed horse. It hasn't reduced or minimized or destroyed any of its strength. It's been disciplined in a way that a child can actually hold the reins of that horse and ride it safely and tell that horse with all its strength and power where to go and how fast to go. How slow to go. It's incredible, isn't it? That is a meek horse. There's another instance to describe or to use this word in context. is used of a, of a king who was presiding over a legal case where someone had committed a capital offense and was deserving of death. And it describes the story as it unfolds that the king did not hand down the death sentence in meekness. That is to say, he restrained the power of his authority and extended mercy, a lesser sentence. Not that this meekness was acclaimed or admired by the people of the time, and it certainly isn't always admired in our times either, but nonetheless, Jesus says that's what he is like. Aren't you happy he's your king and your judge and your Lord? This is what God is like. He doesn't need to parade how powerful he is. Have you noticed how hidden God is? Like, where is God? It's because he's, he's, he's got all his power under control. God is never out of control. He set the boundaries of the ocean to stop just there, to reveal his character. He's, he's never out of control. God never says too much, unlike me, or too little, like me on other times. He just says exactly the right amount. God's word, every promise will be fulfilled. He didn't speak more that he wasn't going to fulfill. Meek, power, authority, under control. The beautiful thing about this for Christians and you and me, particularly people of strength, people who are strong-willed, people who have opinions, you know, God doesn't want to break your strong will. He wants to harness it. And when you live under the fruit of the Spirit, against which there is no law, your strength of character, your power, your intellect, your whatever it may be, is, is then available for the benefit of whoever, whoever may need it. Not just to assert your ego or your opinion. Isn't it beautiful? So Paul says in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because when everyone is yielded, and everyone's strength is under control. There's no need to assert who's in power or who's in charge or who's... Because 
the Holy Spirit is doing something that isn't possible to be done among any other group of human beings. You know, the church is a whole society that is supernatural. This is not a club. It's not a society. We're citizens of heaven, and we're getting to practice what it's going to be like in heaven here on earth. When you pray, your kingdom come, O God, what are you thinking? Your will be done on earth. What are we praying? We're praying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let this community of faith be animated by your Spirit in such a way that we can synchronize and harmonize with one another and preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, it all fits together. This is what God is doing, friends. And only God can do it. And God is doing it on the site of your heart. You are the location where this is happening. You're the one who gets in on it by reckoning yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Meekness. You know the verse where Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What does that mean to you? Well, let it mean the meekness of Christ. Your strength, your gifts, subdued under the will of God for the purposes of God. As we were singing a little earlier, what a way to live. <laughs> Total freedom. The second one, which fits in so beautifully with it that we'll look at today, is the fruit of self-control. Well, this is a supernatural thing. It's not just, you know, controlling what you eat and diet so that you can, you know, be a great athlete. It's, it's something else. It's something that actually is in God's nature that God has visited upon you that you can be like this also. And it corresponds to this whole idea of God always being in control of all his powers. And what it results in for the believer is that you and I can live in such a way that our whole being, our whole will, our whole fleshly nature is subdued and laid open to the will of God. Everything is surrendered and yielded to God's will. Made available to the service of God made possible that you can live for the glory of God. Not just hope to, but actually to live for God's glory. All self-orientation is cut at the root. You know, in the old system, in the old covenant, and why it's called old and now defunct is because all that people could do was God gave them a law and said, this is what you should not do. All those bad things we read, don't do that. But it couldn't fix anything. It couldn't help anybody because it was powerless just became a curse, a standard that could never be met. But what God has given to us in Christ Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit is God's law is actually written, in a sense, on your heart in a living, with a living pen. The life of the Holy Spirit is writing the law of God on your heart, which you can now live because He's animating it within you. And self-control is what you bring by yielding your old way and setting it aside to yield yourself to the will and purposes of God in Christ Jesus. It's what God is like. There is no sin in God. There's no fault in God. There's nothing contaminated in God. It's all at rest. It's done apart. And even all God's virtues are entirely at his disposal to do with as he pleases. To be merciful in whom he chooses to have mercy. Incredible. And the same is given to you. Those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Do you, do you know that Jesus never put anyone in charge of anyone else in the kingdom? 
in the church? Just think about it. It never happened in the gospel. When Jesus on the day of resurrection, and it's good for us to think about this still being in the season of resurrection. He said, those whose sins you forgive. He breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. And then he said, now with this power, what are you going to do with it? Let me see, who's going to be in charge? Not. The authority is given the Christian is to say, friend, your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus. Go in peace. Now that is spiritual authority. For who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, friends, I said the church doesn't understand this. The church doesn't understand this. There are all kinds of people clamoring for power in the church of Jesus. It's an abomination, and maybe that word is a bit strong, but may we repent of it. May we begin to be these kinds, or continue to be these kinds of people that God has made possible by the power of His Holy Spirit residing in each one of us. We're told to submit to those in authority over us, but it's a joy to do because the Lord puts people in certain roles. But it's not about power. It's not about being in charge. It's not about dictating my will or my big vision. It's not what this is about. These things are subjected by the fruit of the Spirit so that the life of God can come forth in us. You know, people who live with self-control governing them are the freest people there are. They are entirely non-legalistic because we don't live by the law anymore. They're entirely not compulsive. They're not impulsive. That's my thing. Still learning to get that settled. They are yielded to the will of God because the fruit of God's self-control is governing their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Is this possible, friends? Can this happen to you? Is this underway in you? If you're a Christian Christian, it is. Well, how should we end today? Maybe thinking just for a moment of what such a person looks like. There's a verse in Isaiah 26 that says, He will keep in perfect peace. Actually, it says, You will keep, O God, in perfect peace. The one whose mind is stayed on thee because they trust in you. That's, that's what this person presents like. They present yielded, dependent, waiting, watching what God is going to do next and yielding their lives to that end in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.